Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, chaps and chappets. I hope you are all doing very well. Thank you for joining me again on another edition of the Guitar Geeks podcast made by musicians for musicians. If you're new here, thank you for joining. And if you are already a regular listener, thank you very much. So good news is, is that Guitar Geeks is now on Spotify. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, you can catch the video of it on YouTube where you can see my ugly mug and the wonderful guests that I have on here. So without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you today a guitarist from Liverpool, Marty Ventura from Scare Tactics. Marty, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. So uh, for those of you uh, that are not aware, who are you and what are you doing? Um, I'm the one of the guitarists slash vocalists for the band Scare Tactics. Uh, I'm not an original member. I did kind of join uh, fairly recently past two years um but it's 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 a bit of a <laughs> hell of a challenge but it's a hell of a lot of fun quite a, a groove groovy metal band i'd say that's that's the main thing is that we're, we're having fun and enjoying it so when i've been listening mm-hmm. to scare tactics i'm gonna i think we're gonna kind of get straight right into it is i first thing i picked up it's old school sort of almost thrashy with a bit of uh yeah. metal core in it that's how i would kind of Mm-hmm. Uh, portray would that be correct uh, I think so yeah I think there's a bit more to it um, when you look a bit deeper under the surface but that's that's to me that was my my first impression as well to be fair I initially I listened and I was like mm, I'm not sure this is my cup of tea but a couple of playthroughs I was like this is insane the guys <laughs> are all brilliant like <laughs> so when it comes to Marty the guitarist um, I always mm-hmm. open with this question but where did those roots and playing guitar start to begin for you? Yeah, uh, I can actually tell you the exact moment I thought I need to start playing guitar. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. Yeah, I mean, might, some people might be able to see where I'm going with this. Uh, there's <laughs> a scene where Robin Williams is um, playing the brush to Aerosmith's Do Looks Like a Lady, and yeah. the little solo section comes on, and I was, well, I think I was like 15, I heard it and was like, Whatever that noise is, I like it. So I did a bit of, bit of research into that was sort of like a new thing, um, at least in my household it was. Uh, and I clocked, it was Joe Perry. And I was like, holy crap, this is, yeah, this, this is some good guitar playing. Uh, and then two, three weeks later, I went out and bought myself a crappy Encore Strat, a little tiny, probably seven inch by seven inch box amp. <laughs> it was just awful. And then proceeded to absolutely butcher the solo for Do Looks Like a Lady for the next two years. <laughs> It's quite an interesting start because I guess like when I was scrolling through your Instagram, I was seeing bits of like uh, Limp Bizkit and yeah. some elements of like that. So it's quite interesting to see the way you started with Joe Perry and Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. And well, if, if if um sorry, mate, if, if you when I said about not understanding what it was that Joe Perry was doing, like the noise, I didn't realize it was an electric guitar at all, which sounds very stupid. But I was a very, very <laughs> naive and stupid kid. Um, but before I actually got into music, I, I list, started listening to music quite late as well. But the first band that I really, really enjoyed was, in fact, Limp Bizkit. And I spent 10 years of me guitar playing, not trying at all to play any Limp Bizkit song. And a couple of years ago, I was like, OK, I need to give this a whack. <laughs> and it is amazing. I don't think I've ever tried to learn a Limp I mean, I think I... Give it uh, a go, man. It'll blow your mind. <laughs> I think I remember once when I was doing um, sound check. Do you know the revolver in Birkenhead? Yes, yeah. Yes, we were doing a sound check there and we were playing with the uh, Limp Bizkit tribute band and the Corn tribute band. We were doing like a, a family... Limp Bizkit and Corn again? 
Yes, exactly those guys. <laughs> and um, I remember I was just noodling about because the guitarist was fucking around with something because he couldn't get it going. And I just remember I was, had the jockey, the guitar, and I just kind of ended up getting break stuff <laughs> coming out. And I was like, it's eh. <laughs> the nearest I've ever got to it. Yeah, so um, when you heard Joe Perry then, so was it particularly like his songwriting style? Was it the way that his sort of his songs have come across? What was it that particularly drew you to him specifically? Um, um I think it was literally just uh <laughs> this may sound like nails on a chalkboard to a lot of guitarists, but I think it was literally just that solo in that scene because I didn't really listen to Aerosmith for I'd say about a year or two after playing guitar. I just focused on that one solo really. Um and then a few other little noodles, like the, you know, the classics people and like, you know, basic I made stuff or Led Zeppelin. Yeah, well, yeah, that was that was an, actually that was a very, a very common song in my repertoire. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But but um when I did eventually start listening to Aerosmith, I was absolutely blown away by the album Payment of Vacation. There's some of the, the the lines and that not just Joe Perry, but some of the vocal lines from Tyler are just insane. I've never properly like sat down and listened to Aerosmith. Uh, sometimes I'll I'll hear it, you know, bits and pieces, and I'm like, I, I do kind of like it, but I've never properly sat down to sort of listen to and and divulge into. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm maybe I'm going wrong somewhere. People might hate me for it. I, <laughs> I don't know. Although I did hear an interesting story about Joe Perry. I think it was to do with Slash. I don't know if you have heard of this story. <laughs> Things um, about already, like uh, about the Les Paul. Do you know the story I'm on about? Um, vaguely. So I don't remember enough to recall it all, but come on. So from what oh, I remember hearing was um, Joe Perry had uh, a Les Paul that he had um, that Slasher basically bought off him at some point in like the eighties or the nineties, and right. it was this like tobacco burst sort of like you know the signature slash look as it were mm-hmm. and slash ended up using that in the november rain video and other bits and pieces it became his go-to guitar and apparently joe perry wanted to buy it back off him but slash <laughs> wasn't selling it and then when it came to um i think it was some anniversary to do with aerosmith and apparently slash gave the les paul back to joe perry from that's oh, what wow, I really what I heard. I don't I don't know if you knew that. But no, I, that was the story. I I, heard a different story, but <laughs> that's awesome. I can't remember where I heard it, but I heard it from somewhere. I'll have to I'm gonna have to delve deep now and then put it in the description of the box and it's all finished, doesn't it? Yeah. So um so with scare tactics then. So how did you sort of end up joining scare tactics? How did all that come about? Um well, we discussed Phil Dyer, didn't we? I think everybody yeah. in the music scene, at least around Liverpool, knows Phil Dyer. Um, guy's incredible. Like, such a cool friend and just a mind-blowingly good guitarist. Yeah, nice. um, he pointed out that they were looking for a guitarist. Um, and that's when I had that moment of listening to him thinking, I'm not really sure this is my cup of tea. But he was like, you should really go for it. I think this is, you know, this is suit your style. And Phil's always been like a, a really good like pillar of encouragement, I think, for me and like the musicians around us. Um, not only is he inspirational, he's he's very like motivational as well. He finds ways to kind of like relate to you and speak your language. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so he basically said to me, he convinced me to just give it a whack. Uh, so I spent about a week listening to some of the songs, and particularly the sign. It's, it's probably no, it is hands down my favorite released scare tactic song. Um, 
Notice I said released. Um, <laughs> and I spent a, a, about two or three nights straight just like like learning the sign and a few other little songs. Um, and as soon as I got into the room within the rehearsal room, it was just like being around mates. I've been mates with for years. They were just so down to earth, man. There was no bad blood between like previous guitarists. It was all amicable. There was no mm. kind of like you're filling anyone's boots. So it was just totally you're here to play music, enjoy yourself, and we're gonna do it with you. Um, it was just, it was really good. It was like, a, it was like, for lack of a better analogy, it was like getting a job where you think I've not realised I've wanted this job for as long as I have, but I have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's pretty much from there. It's just, it went. Kind, kind of become a, a band of brothers, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty instantly, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always quite good, especially when you when you come in, in from a band that have already had, say, like somebody else that's kind of been quite stable in the band and you've got to try and sort of, I wouldn't say emulate their writing or mm-hmm. playing style, but you kind of got to continue that on. So it's quite mm-hmm. good that you was able to just kind of come in, fit in straight in the pocket and then kind of yeah. get on with the with the material and be so friendly. I think it helps a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I have to reiterate though that most of that is down to the fact that the guy's just so, so easy to work with. And it's nice as well being surrounded by people who are just so amazing at the at the craft. It really is. Kind of, it's, it's the word. It's uh, it's encouraging. Absolutely, it really is. Absolutely. Boss. I do boss la. <laughs> so boss, I do say boss a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a scouse word. I'm a I'm a Liverpool fan, so I kind of like I'm always I'm always <laughs> you know the lingo. There. I do, yeah. <laughs> so we'll talk more about Liverpool because um, the Liverpool seems to have well as much as I know there's always quite a good metal and music scene that seems to be around Liverpool because you've got uh, Oceanis or their Phil's band who are, who's just released their song Off Flesh, which is outstanding. Off Flesh, yeah. It's fucking um, insane. <laughs> obviously, we've got Scare Tactics. And do you know Death Blooms? Uh, it rings a bell. I probably know them if I've seen them. Yeah. Or I'm so just... You've oh, got no, no, Death. I do, I do, I do. You do, yeah. Yeah. So you kind yeah. of got Death Blooms up there as well. There's a very good, like hard hitting mm-hmm. metal scene up there, which is really refreshing to see, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think um what I quite like about scare tax is because you've got that old school thrashy vibe to it. It sort of lends your ear to the nostalgia of sort of like more older people enjoying it and then bringing in the new people with like the metalcore. Mm-hmm. aspects of it that's what i get from personally listening to it so how have you found at the moment uh trying to put material forward together for scare tactics in the, the current global situation at the moment um it's been it's been really difficult to be fair we've had a few complications um in our own personal lives due to what's going on um which have really put like a well, you know, <laughs> spanner in the works. Um, but if it was, if those complications weren't there, I'm fairly certain we'd all be pretty motivated and at least producing something. Because Andy, Andrew Barker, insane guitarist, he's, um, he can just pick up a guitar and come up with something fairly, fairly quickly that's just frightening. And he has these like phrases and licks that he plays, which um, I, I'm guessing they're just exercises. But every time he plays them, I hear music. And he, he's just he just oozes musical talent. Sounds like I'm blown to muck up his ass. And I suppose I am to a degree, but he is insane, man. Um, but I think that kind of lends itself to the creative process a lot. 
So if we we were ever at a point where we could just chill and this wasn't going on, for example, um, the writing process wouldn't take a hit at all. But mm. given the current climate, yeah, there's definitely definitely constraints there. Like, would you say you lend yourself then in terms of the creative aspect? Would you lend yourself more to being the person? Are you happy to kind of like? take someone's idea and roll with it or do you prefer to take like the front foot and prefer to come up with your own bits and then uh kind of join together then to make that into something else if that makes sense um being entirely honest i think it's i haven't really given it much thought it's just such a relaxed process that i suppose we could any one of us at any point could slot into any one of those roles Mm. Uh, i'm sorry for the, the vague on the fence answer but that's that's pretty much how it is yeah, you kind of split it down the middle, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. We just take, it seems to not rotate, but we just take turns kind of like, someone has an idea, we all support that person's idea and let them roll it, you know what I mean? And then obviously vice versa. Unless a drummer comes up with an idea, then you just kind of get oh, to the side. Drummer, <laughs> drummers don't come up with ideas. That's, that's <laughs> terrible. It's when the drummer... still and quiet behind the kid. <laughs> it's when the drummer always says, I'll come up with an idea and I'm sinking. And he's like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you will only uh, speak when spoken to. <laughs> <laughs> you just sit there and you play to the metronome. Do what you're told. I, I'm definitely definitely getting a stick jammed into my eye when we get back on the practice stream. Sorry, <laughs> 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 Stu. Love you, mate. We're sorry to all the drummers out there that have just immediately mm-hmm. been offended by that. <laughs> so we'll talk about, it's a gear podcast, so we'll talk about guitars, effects, blah, blah, blah. So when you kind of got your Encore Strat and your Fisher-Price amp, how did it feel when you kind of then kind of graduated upper level and then you kind of got something that was a bit more aesthetically pleasing, nice to play? Did you find you was getting a bit more inspiration and a push to carry on playing 100% 100% mate. I've spent about eight years wanting that guitar which is, is that, a JP16 it is yeah JP60 yeah I wanted to do the JP6 which has got like the piezo pickups and stuff um, but I'm just not that minted um, but yeah it's it's a kind of a dream guitar that, when I got that, was it was the most motivated I've ever been with guitar, hence the Limp Bizkit, you know, videos yeah. and stuff. I'd never had confidence to put videos up or anything like that. And, and again, Phil Dyer kind of encouraging me. Um, a, a big lot of confidence come from the fact that I was playing one of them. I spent um, what, about an hour and a half, two hours, a few years back at the London International Music Show uh, where I had the, the pleasure of playing a JPX. And it was... Uh, might have been a JP6. It was just insane. At that moment, I fell in love with that guitar and I could feel like what you basically just described, inspiration coming from the guitar itself. Mm. It was awesome, man. Have you lent yourself to being a John Petrucci fan then? Or is it just specifically something about the guitar? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> uh, a little bit. Dream Theatre. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> and weirdly, my two favourite bands, Dream Theatre and Limbisca. Um, But yeah, John Petrucci is definitely my biggest kind of virtuoso idol I'd say um, in terms of oh, I don't know actually it's, it's very close I tend to alternate but John Petrucci has definitely been the biggest push I've had to motivate myself to be productive in my songwriting process and just the creative process in, in general like do you find like but, um, so, sort of when you come up with something it tends to be very sort of progressive orientated yeah. then Mm-hmm. the problem with that is if you're not a, a fantastic musician it all just sounds shit <laughs> so I tend, I tend to bin a lot of ideas I've probably got something like 400 songs in the virtual trash can 
um, or song ideas, should we say? So, um, can, what was it about Dream Theatre that sort of brought you in? Because I, 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 I would say I'm a fan of Dream Theatre, but I'm not a huge fan. If that make you know, mm-hmm. I like a few bits here and there. But what was it that drew you into that to them specifically? I'm going to exercise a bit of restraint here because I'm a bit of a fanboy when it comes to Dream Theatre. In case you can't tell, you go ahead. Um, <laughs> I'll do my best to keep it terse. Uh, the gig um, live at the Budokan was my first experience at watching Dream Theatre live. Um, it was a DVD. I didn't go to the gig, unfortunately. Um, and the second song, which was This Dying Soul, uh, was just phenomenal to me. I'd never seen anything like that ever. It was me, me best friend from high school. Um, we've been mixed with for years. We were just chilling and just like eat some junk food and stuff. Uh, and he was like, oh, check check out this band. Let me meet you. Come with. I was like, okay, whatever. Best mate, so I'll, I'll entertain the idea. And he whacked it on and I was just like, what is this? This is insane. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, it was it was definitely, I'd say like, um, I'm trying to phrase this without going too, too over the top, too verbose. Um, it was definitely the, the, the kind of unique style, to me anyway, the unique style of that kind of prog meets like a modern take on things like I love I love synths you know when people play synth properly yeah um, like in unison with the guitar and then break um, to do like harmonies it was just like it opened me opened my eyes to harmon- how harmonies were between instruments as well and it was just a fantastic opening experience but yeah sorry, was, I, <laughs> sorry I to find go with, uh, with Dream Theater it's just like um, I have to say apart from the singer because I much prefer some of the songs that are, don't have James singing in it sometimes I'll, I'll be honest yeah, yeah. he's in the quiet taste <laughs> yes he is like some songs that he's done don't get me wrong I quite like him in like uh, Untethered Angel and Breaking All Illusions I, I quite like how he works in that but like John My Young and when it was Mike Portnoy they're just so at the top of their game which it's, it's mm-hmm. and how they work if you dig just insane oh yeah 100% man if you dig Dream Theater without Libri you should listen to Liquid Tension Experiment. It's basically Dream Theatre, but instead of John Young, it's Tony Levin. We used to play with Gabriel. He's okay. Gabriel. Oh, NER Changel Gabriel. Um, and it's just, again, it's just mind-blowing stuff. We've actually got a new album coming out, I think, early April. Yeah, Maybe I think I did, see, I think I did see something that uh, JP was bringing out uh, more of his solo materials. Maybe he's he's that's... been busy, man. Past year, he's been super busy. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like turned into an absolute monster now. He's just like a big mm-hmm. beard, long hair. He looks like Jesus on steroids. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like a Viking, isn't he? Wielding <laughs> yeah. a, a guitar, an axe. Big, big massive guy in axe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the JP axe. <laughs> So we'll talk about your JP, uh, JP guitar. So is that the Mystic Dream finish? Is it it that? certainly is. I'll show you it, but it just doesn't come across on camera. It's so fucking... Uh, in fact, I'll give, give you the white light. Check this. <laughs> Try and get this on properly. Oh, that's stunning. You only really see green from the front. Yeah. But there is a purple in there. It just looks green. <laughs> it just doesn't come across on camera. Oh, what a nightmare! Oh well. It's an absolute... yeah, um, what were, did was you find? He was playing. Hmm? Did you find when you picked it up? Did you find that there was something you struggled to get used to that you hadn't been used to before? Because I tried 
the sterling version of the um the majesty and i found mm-hmm. the neck really wide and flat and i found that quite difficult for me i've always played iron guitars um predominantly with flat and wide necks so to me it wasn't any new territory um but i did find a lot of difficulty kind of holding down the bridge um stopping it from fluctuating if i was leaning near it or i'm I very um I was very like rough, you know, with me old Ibanez guitars because they're all like crappy two, three hundred pound ones at first. So you could give them a bit of a beating and you take it like they're quite like chunky. But this is a very, I'd say, very precise instrument. So my biggest issue was not bending the strings, not leaning on the, the bridge, which to be fair, I overcome fairly quickly, but it was just, yeah, it was very, very difficult in those first couple of hours to just kind of not bend the note without meaning to. I've always like weirdly. I've I've wouldn't say I've had a fascination with Floyd Roses. Excuse me, but I always seem to end up getting guitars with Floyd Roses, and mm-hmm. I'm like, I keep. I mean, why not? I keep really need to go right. I need to get a hardtail. I need to get a hardtail guitar. Get a Floyd Rose. Oh, get a Floyd Rose. <laughs> it just, just it naturally happens. Um. So we'll talk. We'll talk sounds. So what are you running for the majority of your dirty tones? And clean tones and what? Um, I'm I'm at a bit of a crossroads. I've got because we haven't gigged in like 13, 14 months. Um, obviously we're doing a lot of home playing and recording. Um, I've got an Axvex Mark II, uh, which has just got a hell of a incredible sound bank. I don't know if you're familiar with the um, fractal audio stuff. I am. Um, yeah, they're just mind blowing. The stuff you can do if you put in the time and effort to learn how it works and learn its its tweaks and tricks and that. Um, you can create pretty much I'd say you can create pretty much any sound you'll hear like the, flawlessly um, but I have been uh, experimenting with an AA12 amplifier um, AA12 with with the means to kind of get a, a good live what's the word like setup going because I don't want to be carrying like you know a big head and a big cab and all sorts of stuff I like the like I'm a techie sort of like I'm a tech enthusiast with SIGs and geek implies I'm smart yeah, about no. it but probably not yeah, yeah, basically nerd. Um, so the idea with the AA12 is to have versatility and portability at the same time. Um, bring the power amp, and then wherever you go, pretty much any gig you go to, you're gonna have the same, pretty much the same tone. That's the aim. Um, but I know that's a lot less practical in reality. Um, sometimes it can be quite um, constricting, especially if like venues have got their own ways of doing things, and you know, oh, just run it through this car, run it through that, and you're like. Mm. Warps the sound a bit, but to be honest with you, I don't focus too much on sound. I used to get like carried away badly, um, trying to chase tones. Um, thank Phil Dyer for that. But these days, I'm just kind of I don't know, I kind of sit somewhere between the muddy new metal stuff for kind of like some rhythm playing, and then I do rip off John Petrucci with the leads playing. I really do, like, I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. I, I've got a crunch lab and um, liquefier pickup in my basket on Dawson's or whatever, <laughs> ready to go. Like, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's 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 good. Like, um, it's it's a it can be a bit of a rabbit hole, I think. But ultimately, on the whole, I, I'm pretty much just digital the whole way. I can't say I've ever owned a an analog amp, never. Have you Phil finding... let me cracking, and that was it. Oh yeah, it, yeah. I have tried on those, and they are very nice, but they're immense. I, they are. <laughs> 
I've just I've always find that digital is easier because no matter what time it is on the night or in the day, you can just plug it in, put whatever your volume, you know, you don't have that consistent mm-hmm. sort of sound. So on the uh, fractal, are you kind of running? You say kind of ripping off John Petrucci, so to speak. Are you mm-hmm. running like uh, a Mesa Boogie style patch on there with like nice yeah. delays? Pretty much. Um, there was there's actually a patch on there. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but it uses dual rectifiers, but dual rectifier amp. I can't remember the actual, I need to remember that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's awful. Ultimately, it's basically a, a John Petrucci style tone. And then if you just dial up the gain a bit, you've basically got his, his lead tone, throw a bit of delay on there as well, like stereo delay. It's, it's, it's pretty much spot on. Um, and by the way, not as recent tone, it's more like the, um, uh, what was that? Systematic chaos, that kind of thing. That's that sort album. of error. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I love that album. A lot of people don't like it. These things doesn't fit in with the Gene Theatre um, catalogue, but I think it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I, I've tried to uh, listen to like albums here in there with Gene Theatre and like some of the songs I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, it's good. I like the sound. And then next thing, you know, I'm just like, mm, I'm not feeling. But that, that's my, again, my, my personal opinion. Now, I have had moments like that myself. I have. So, We've, we've touched on it, Limp Biscuit. So, would does Wes Bort Wes Borland? I think he's a guitarist. My personal opinion that he doesn't get enough recognition for totally for, what he, for what he does. Um, was there anything specific about Wes Borland that drew you to him? Was it his wacky stage out, <laughs> outfits that he always honestly wears? <laughs> that was the first thing I was like, "Wow, that guy's got black eyes." Sad about. Um, but when you get past the outfit and stuff and you actually listen to what he's playing, I mean, you know the song Nucky? Yes. Everyone should know that pretty much. Yeah. Um, there isn't one guitar in that. Well, the traditional six-string guitar, there isn't one. Whereas Bolland plays a bass tune to some weird tuning that he uses. That is the I, kind of shit that I think, holy crap, that's awesome. I did see on his uh, Instagram the other day, I don't know if you saw it. The floating bridge the, bass. That, yeah, I seen that with the yeah. AMGs and I was like, what the hell? Uh-huh. That's was, his own personal instrument that he gets made because he, he, he writes songs so and stuff like that. I was confused by it. I was like, I can't, I can't work this out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think as as a kid, I was very, um, not non-conformist per se, because I wasn't so you know belligerent about it, but I was I tended to sway towards things that weren't typical. Mm-hmm. And I think Wes Borland is pretty much the embodiment of atypical when it comes to guitarists in terms of appearance as well as, as playing. Yeah. Um, like I know people have done makeup before now, um, like Kiss and stuff. But I mean, Wes Borland's got a, an LED suit that lights up like a, some kind of weird <laughs> digital warrior. It's just insane. Um, and then with a the feather mohawk, what the? Anyway, I digress. Um, told you to digress. But his guitar playing and his style to me was just like it wasn't conventional. It was very atypical. And he had this. He has this tendency to play percussively, and I yeah. just think that's it's such an underrated technique to be able to provide rhythm from the six strings in the song rather than the bass or the drums. You know what I mean? I think there's just, a lot of guitarists out there now that tend to do that whole because of things. You've got like Tosin Abassi, you've got Rabia mm-hmm. Massad, you've oh. got so many people now that are using that percussive element um, mm-hmm. running through the guitars and you really just add that substantial next layer, I think. Mm-hmm. The first time I remember hearing Wes Borland 
And I was just thinking, what the hell is he doing there? It was when I listened to my generation and in that verse where he's knocking the trem as he's playing, I was like, what's that? I had mm-hmm. no idea how he was doing it. <laughs> Obviously, I, I know now, but I've, I always find that I think Limp Bizkit tend to kind of get overlooked because of Fred Durst. And then I yeah. think they don't 100% take agree. seriously, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. How can you? That's well, the thing. Like it's you've got someone who dresses like a, a bloody, I don't know, like a KFC mascot gone wrong. You've got a DJ that used to be in House of Pain. You've got some bass player who looks like a cabbage patch kid, and a, <laughs> a, a drummer who's just like this little egg-shaped fella behind the kit. And then Fred Durst wailing like he thinks he's from the ghetto or something. It's just it's mad, <laughs> but it works for me. It works. You you look at me and you think like this guy likes I like physics and stuff like that. And, like bikes and that, and you think, why the fuck would anyone like him like the likes of the biscuit? But hands down, man, they just I think it's very work. hard to me, anyway. I think it's very hard to sort of disregard them as one of the big founders of like that the new metal scene movement. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think if it wasn't for Limp Bizkit, I don't think he probably would have taken off as much as it did. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think yeah. people owe a lot of that to Corn and the likes of Slipknot as well back then, loosely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corn. I don't know if you're familiar with how Olympic basically came to be um, as a regular band. Um, Fred, if anyone wants to fact check me on this, that's cool. I might get one or two details wrong. But Fred was um, mates with Jonathan Davis for quite a while. Um, and he was like, do you want to check out my band and what we've got going on? And John was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it to meet producer. I'll just see how, how he, what he thinks and you know, we'll give it a whack. And it was some some songs that you hear on $3 bill, y'all. Uh, and Korn's producer were like, I kind of dig this, but I'm not entirely sure there's a market for this. Fred was pushing and pushing and pushing, and eventually they got like kind of a supporting slot for corn. Um, Fred was broke at this point because he put all his money into getting songs recorded and trying to you know get the band together. And whereas I think lived miles away, so it was pain to get him over to record, etc. Um, and Jonathan Davis was like, "I'll give you 400 bucks if you play this next gig naked." Fred did. <laughs> and that garnered a lot of attention from the public and I think I don't like admitting this being a massive Limbiscuit fanboy but I think a lot of Limbiscuit's fame doesn't come from the the conventional sense of being on stage and playing the music you do um, because a lot of their success and fame tends to come from actions that Fred Durst does or like weird relations to things like uh, My Way was uh, Wrestlemania theme yeah Wrestlemania year, and it just, 17 was 17 it? I think yeah yeah blew up it blew up man it was just like and then they were on they played Wrestlemania 19 yes. played that crack, crack addict previously unreleased tune I, I still can't um, I, imagine playing the Undertaker man. or anything like that like I love crack addicts it's an absolute bangers I used to be a big it wrestling is. fan and no yeah. one knows that song I know. it's, it's on the B side of the um, Behind Blue Eyes single oh is I've it I've got it on vinyl on the loft uh. yeah sad I know sad but yeah it's um, it's it's pretty awesome so, um, same yeah, like this, with this, wrestling I think that Undertaker sort of when you know they started to appear up on the wrestling they did just go straight yeah, up to another yeah. level and the beef they had with the whole shit that went on that, that gig you probably know what I'm referring to where they got accused or not accused but they were involved um, loosely with that poor girl's you know death in the in the crowd do you remember in about that there was uh, a lot of beef between Slipknot yeah, and the Biscuit over there I did hear it. I don't want to go into that too much because it's not a nice subject but yeah there's, there's like negative reasons they're famous and positive reasons and 
a lot of them aren't music, <laughs> aren't like purely music related. I guess they kind of say like any publicity is good publicity, but mm-hmm. you know, it does it does come to a point of when it's not necessarily the best in a way. It's a mm-hmm. shame that kind of now that that kind of new metal scene, apart from sort of corn and I, w- I would say Slipknot now is really sort of just kind of yeah side down. Mm. And I feel like it's going to take something big, someone just with the right band to pick up at the right time, and it could absolutely skyrocket again. But yeah. I guess you could say that was anything for any sort of music genre, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you're probably right. I, I wish it'd be me, like to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be. I love it if my my new metal stuff started getting big, like, but oh, it's crazy. Do you see yourself then kind of bringing in more of new metal influences into scare tactics? 100%. I, I try to, at first, to try to steer clear of it, but there are a few, there's a few songs we're doing now, um, and one of which is a verse riff, which is just basically where I asked myself, what would Wes do? <laughs> one of those moments, I thought, I'll just play something like this. And I was just like, I grinned. Don't often do that, but I grinned at something I was playing. I was like, that's a keeper. I'm keeping that in. Sometimes yeah. you just know, don't you? Like you're just fiddling around with something and going, I think I'll, I'll just uh, I'll just write that one down. It could be uh, it could be something decent in the future. <laughs> mm-hmm. Honestly, don't underestimate taking notes or writing ideas down or getting a little voice recording on your phone. It really comes in handy, man. Do you sort of kind of bringing it back to the, the, the songwriting aspects? Do you find like you have to be in a certain headspace to come up with things? Like, will you, yeah. pers- will you just sit down and go, okay, I'm going to dedicate two hours to noodling, or will you prefer just to pick up, turn Axe Effects to so-and-so patching and just see what happens? Um, there are a few things to unpack there. Firstly, if I do the scheduled uh, writing time, it doesn't often go well. If I try and force myself to do something for two hours, I can write stuff, but it's, it doesn't kind of like for lack of a better phrase, um, it doesn't resonate with, you know, me, me natural vibe musically. Uh, and I tend to just veto it pretty. As soon as I think, hang on, is this right? It's gone. Um, I usually go forward with ideas where I think, where I've got no doubt that I, I will enjoy working on it. If there's any doubt at all, I tend to shelf them. Um, when it comes to actually feeling inspired, motivated to do things, I tend to get inspired in bed two in the morning. It does my in. But it does happen. Uh, there's been times in the past where um, I've gotten out of bed. I remember one night, it was like quarter past one, and I got out of bed and I got me um, that Ibanez there. And I was there quietly downstairs playing a little melody, little like a lead riff, kind of like a, 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 what would you call it, like a passage. I was thinking that, that needs to go in that song, needs to go in there. And I had this little scrap bit of paper and there were just a load of random letters and numbers that anyone looking at would have thought he's lost his marbles. But that <laughs> turned into one of uh, one of my old band's songs, pretty much. It was pretty good, like. I'm glad I'm not the only one that, like, I'll always be sitting in, like, bed <laughs> watching TV and I'll, and I'll just come up with something and I'll go, why do I come up with these ideas at, like, quarter to 11 no. or 12 o'clock? Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad <laughs> I'm on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> coming to yourself on the bus and people are going what's that plot I've ended up now like downloading an app on my phone where I can just like it's like a virtual drum kit so like if I get an idea I can at least try and put like a little drum loop together yeah. just to come up with something Garage Band is boss for that man it is yeah mm-hmm. um, so 
growing up in Liverpool, I'm assuming that you obviously growing up in Liverpool, um, mm. kind of when you was growing up, did you have a lot of things like the Beatles or, you know, because it's hard to obviously talk about growing up in Liverpool and not talk about the Beatles. You mm. know, were there specific influences like that when you were growing up, obviously, as a child at home? Um, people who know me are probably going to pull me on this so I'll just put it out there I grew up in Bootle which is technically just outside Liverpool it's in Sefton but it's an outpost code um, there was a lot of music played when I was a kid um, but it was all like mum stuff like Barry Manilow and not knocking him I mean the guy's a good songwriter but just you know for me come on <laughs> lose the pain Um and the likes, and my sister was really into like Spice Girls and things like that. Um, and my brother was into like, I don't even know what you'd describe it when you scrape the filth off the side of a bin and put it into music. That's kind of oh, Scouse House, that stuff. Um, <laughs> he was into that kind of that stuff, and I never really had exposure to music that I enjoyed. It was when we mate introduced me to new metal stuff that I started thinking this is a type of music that I will enjoy. Um, but there wasn't much exposure to the likes of the Beatles because I think where I'm from, Bootle, um, <laughs> gonna get a lot of flack for this, but it's very, very, very rare that you'll find somebody who's kind of like, uh, <laughs> I need to phrase this delicately. Um, you don't often find people who are, who are soaking up the culture, should we say? They're mm. not really into like you know the local music scenes or like being creative. Um, quite the opposite, really, from Bootle, like quite destructive people around there. But it's it's it was very um isolated if, if I was a musician as a kid I think I'd have no support and I'd probably lose motivation growing up where I grew up it was probably a good job that I wasn't into music until I got to my teens do you think it would have had a big, question <laughs> so you think you're like it would have had a completely different um as you know it would have completely changed the way that you saw things if that makes sense if that makes sense yeah yeah if, if I was if I was looking at things musically um back as a kid I think I would have lost interest in it and it may even have put me off it. Um, and it's, it's not, everyone's different. Everyone has different upbringings and different like family lifestyles and that. But my type of music I was exposed to was all just God awful, at least for my taste. Um, yeah. The only one band that I was introduced to, which is actually fantastic, was Queen. There were a few songs by Queen and I was like, oh my God, that, that's amazing. Radio Gaga, and I was like, what is that noise? Just a <laughs> Fantastic though, but that, that kind of thing, like if I had more of that, I probably would have been a bit more like, you know, um, involved in music and stuff. But nope, Spice Girls, Abba, Barry Manilow. <laughs> Doesn't hey, make for a good music, does it? Especially one for scare tactics. I will, I will say there's nothing wrong with Spice Girls. I will happily admit that. <laughs> if you well, want to hate, which one want... do you fancy? <laughs> uh, when I, I was, when I was, um, a kid i remember i had we had a couple of like vhs tapes i guess that's kind of showing our age and um <laughs> the only three i had was um aladdin toy story and the spice girl movie and i remember apparently when i was younger because my mom never lets me live this down but scary spice was the one that i used to have the hearts for for some, yeah. un- some unknown reason <laughs> a man likes to live on the edge <laughs> yeah well nothing wrong with that <laughs> no, not at all um so kind of looking back when you did start to sort of you know pick up the guitar and start learning bits and pieces is there something that you'd look back on now where you kind of you would have wished you'd done something differently or that something that you wish you knew now that you could take back and apply yeah 
Um, oh God, there are so many things, but there's one immediate one that came to mind. Um, I used to work in a bar, doing like kind of part-time work as a kid to basically kind of get the, um, you know, get the money in, pay for gear and stuff, um, as well as just general teenager stuff. Um, I remember listening to a lot of pop music and just like hating it and just thinking, oh, this is crap and just not taking any notice. Pop music has some of the best chord changes and like phrasings in that you'll phrasing that you'll ever hear. Oh, yeah, that's my phone being an absolute noise. One second, <laughs> I'm, so I'm doing the same thing because you're using my uh phone. I'm a bit sorry for the technical difficulties. Just do this. There we go. That's the normal webcam. There we go. That'll do. Right. So sorry. Awesome. Carry on. Um. Yeah. There was. There was a lot of pop music that I kind of just shrugged off, but pop music has some incredible stuff in, like techniques and um, phrases and chord changes and stuff. Um, that I mean, a lot of it's fluff, but there are a few songs that you just think, like, if you could metal that up or rock it up or, you know, incorporate it into your own personal style that you like, you could probably grow as a musician. And I wish I'd have done that a lot more as a kid. Phil Dyer, again, Phil, um, basically got me onto this stuff. He asked me to play guitar for a... Um, an artist from London called Sam Volo, um, who is just unreal at like production and like his, his voice is just phenomenal. It really is. He's completely unique in how he sounds. Um, but it was Neo Soul, and I was thinking, that's, that's, that's a world apart from like Dream Theater and Limp Bizkit and that, isn't it? You know, so I wonder why he's asking me, maybe because I'm his mate, maybe it's something like that. And he was like, no, no, showed me a few chords and a few little licks, and I was like, this is incredible. It was just mind blowing. Um, that was my biggest like growing point in my whole like <laughs> from playing guitar from day dot to this. That was the biggest change in my path was listening to neo soul music, particularly Sam's as well, and just being absolutely blown away by the the meticulous attention to phrasing and harmonies and the direction songs would move. It was just emotional. It sounds sounds weird, but it, it was it was a very emotional experience. Are you aware of John Conern? Uh, he's, he's an artist with uh, Chapman Guitars, and uh, I had him on. I had him on the podcast uh, this week, and um, I was, funny enough, we were talking about pop music as well, and uh, we were saying about how pop music can get so easily overlooked because mm. of the chord changes, because of the melodies, because of the the spacings, and we said they call it pop music for for a reason essentially because mm-hmm. they know because they know what works and i i think mm-hmm. saying say to you as i said to him i absolutely agree that it it does often get overlooked and you know um i think there's a few people out there sort of like you know, i guess danish peter's made he's kind of living off it and um leo morcioli or can't pronounce his last name you know turns pop music songs into metal covers and you know it yeah absolutely and it works <laughs> it does it absolutely mm-hmm. does um so kind of staying on the the pop music tangent so do you kind of listen to those for inspiration yep i wouldn't have admitted this five or so years ago but yeah 100 percent. there's some pop songs now things you would typically hear on in the charts that i just think that is a banger. <laughs> like uh, Dead Basic, but Blind and Lights by the weekend. I absolutely love that tune. Um, there's, uh, is it 
Is it the synth in uh, that by any chance that does it for you? I think it's everything. I'll be honest. The vocal lines as well, and the, I mean, the guy's a fantastic singer. Honestly, um, I take inspiration from talent as well as writing songwriting ability. What was the other one? Uh, Wild Youth by Daughter? That's a, another dead basic song that you'll hear in pop music that is just phenomenal to listen to. Um, what was the other one as well? There's another. I, I'm, I'm saying this so anybody who's listening will think, oh, "I'll give it a listen," and then it might just like turn the light on in their head. There was one more, but it'll come back to me. Don't want to drag on. Told you on crap and remembering things. <laughs> we all are as we get older. <laughs> you trying to say? I'm saying you looked not a day past twenty-one. <laughs> no, it's stuffy. <laughs> so, kind of, what's going to be like the next part working forward with scare tactics at the moment? Because obviously now some restrictions are going to be lifting soon with COVID mm-hmm. and bits and pieces like that. So, are you guys kind of gearing up, ready to move forward? Yeah, um, I'm not going to say oh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes because there isn't. Um, there's a few. There are a few things going on behind the scenes. Um, most notably, we're trying to get a gig where we can just kind of like come back on the on the circuit and just get it all out. Get the you know what do you call it? Blow the cobwebs off, just the cobwebs off. Um, but we do want to get a few songs recorded. We've got some written that haven't been recorded. And I haven't got anything, any of my guitar in any scare tactics music that's been released because shortly after I joined, you know, well, about a year or so after I joined, all this stuff happened. Um, I think we were going to start recording stuff, but then we had a few, like a spate of gigs, one of which was with Skindred, which is just a whole other experience. Like Great band. Um, Absolutely and, a phenomenal band. Yeah. Benji Webb is just hilarious, man. Yeah. <laughs> He's the Rastafarian Fred there, as he calls himself. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, we, we want to get it at least, there's at least two songs that we've got ready to go. Um, probably getting Phil on, help, helping on production with those. Um but once you've got those two done, we're probably going to focus on more songwriting as well as getting a balance of gigs in as well. I think gigs help motivate us. I don't know what, what it's like for other bands, but when we've got a gig booked in, we tend to knuckle down, mm. links up our boots and get stuck in. Are there big changes from the new material? Obviously, you delve in as much as you want. Is there differences now between sort of the new material compared to what the old material's like? Are there stark, massive contrast differences because you're bringing your own style into it. Um, I'd say, I'd say there's a bit of a dichotomy in terms of how I'm fitting in with the music because initially when I started, I just wanted to kind of fit in as much as you probably shouldn't. I wanted to make sure that my sound complemented other people's. Um, but I've since kind of realised that you can complement other people's sounds by doing your own sound right. I think a level of professionalism makes for a better bond than um, emulation. If you if you get me, don't yeah. want to sound too too verbose there, but um, yeah, this I think I, I, I sometimes I, I'm at war with myself over it, but I think more often than not, I tend to find the right kind of balance um, where I do have my own kind of touch on the song, but don't detract too much from the the core kind of listen experience of what people used to with scare tactics i think because as you mentioned there's like a a core metal core type thing going on there and i do i do get stuck into that i'll be honest in the past (laughs) ed's banging i've got no air but a bang you know um but then i do enjoy the groove element as well i really 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 enjoy the groove element of scare tactic songs 
and dig it, man. That was that was kind of like the the main thing. But when I was listening to them, that really pulled me in. It, it is very it's very easy to listen. It's very easy to listen to because it has got that nice flowing groove to it. Mm-hmm. And I think what's quite good is um, it's very easy now for bands, guitarists, musicians, drummers, bassists, blah 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 blah, to overly complicate things and then mm-hmm. sort of uh, detract away from playing only what's necessary. And, yeah. and I think it's very easy now because I think we're in a world now, especially where progressive music is kind of still on the rise. And I think a lot of people would probably say that it's very easy to try and overly complicate things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I think if your music becomes too convoluted, it's very hard to listen to, which is what I think works with scare tactics. It's, it's got different elements, but it, it work. It, it's done to the way that it works, right? Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of that comes from the chemistry I was talking about before. About um, it's quite laid back. The very easy, especially Andy. Andy's just super chill, man. And if I if I come up with an idea that even um, I've got doubts on, he'll encourage me to work with it until I decide on it. Mm. Um, naturally, he does that. He doesn't have to like put any effort in it. It's so laid back, man. Uh, but it doesn't have help the writing experience. It kind of gives you that that freedom to make mistakes and kind of experiment, you know, with your boundaries and stuff. It really does help. Any bands listening, anyone in bands listening, um, if you ever feel like, oh, I shouldn't do that, do it. Just make yourself do something wrong for once and then you'll fully understand the extent at which it doesn't fit in and may help you understand better what things would fit in. I find anyway. So, I quite like that idea. That's quite a good idea, to be fair. So we we talked about how easy it was coming into scare tactics and how much easy it made you feel, but did you find that there was actually any difficulties? Like there was something that you struggled to sort of, to grasp or to get used to yeah the technicality Andy Stu and Danny are just next level musicians um, I don't know if you've seen any of Stu Barker's stuff on Instagram or any of his drumming but the guy practices with weights which I know isn't you know uncommon but when he takes them off man he takes them off um, Andy like I say super chill but his fingers have all got brains themselves they just play that fretboard <laughs> Insanely. I remember when I got in into the practice room, I felt like you know that meme that goes around when you lied on your CV but you got the job anyway. <laughs> I felt like that. I felt like that meme. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what why am I here? These guys are gonna go get out. But no, it was like I say, they were quite chill, but it's the, the biggest struggle was definitely how am I gonna keep up with these guys? But then that was where I had that kind of you know eureka moment of it's not so much about keeping up as much as it is about filling my spot in the band, focus on what I'm doing to build the song rather than keeping up with these guys, you know, make, make a bigger, bigger picture rather than brighter colors. So you kind of turned like, a, I would say the biggest challenge that you faced into kind of your biggest asset. Yeah. That, that'd be a polite way of putting it, but a more brutal way of putting it would be, I chose to ignore the problem and pursue something else entirely. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all, I think we've all been quite, uh, susceptible to sort of getting something and just like brushing it under cover and just ignore that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think I've had a lot of issues with anxiety as well in the past. Like me, me childhood wasn't too great. I mean, but like, um, it wasn't particularly bad, but it just, it left a lot of residual marks on me that were just kind of influenced a lot of my decisions. Uh, one of which was dedication and motivation to practice. And I think that kind of shone through. 
with the scare tactics process. That's why immediately my reaction was to be like, nah, I'm not going to give it a go. But um, yeah, once once you get stuck in, no matter what the anxiety is, you, you overcome it, man. Just put yourself in a really uncomfortable position and just go for it. That's, that's yeah, the best thing you can do. I, I definitely admire that because I think no matter who you are, I think you're always going to have some level of a performance anxiety regardless of who mm-hmm. you are even jp and uh yeah. joe satriani everybody's always going to have some moment of, of of performance anxiety um so would you like what would you say in terms of your your music your musicality is kind of your biggest strength but it's also something that you'd like to improve on at the same time Oh, I don't know. I'm not very good at putting out things that I'm good at. That's kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, really. Isn't it? Um, I feel like it's like for like for me is I am quite susceptible to being like, oh, I can play a guitar solo, but try and ask me the theory behind it, like what mode am I? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I'm just like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, the theory is over my head entirely. Um, well, not entirely, but I mean. If someone, if most of the things I play, I could not explain to you theory wise what they are. I just have to demonstrate it. But I wouldn't say, like, to me, like, th- that isn't a concern of mine. And I don't know whether that's a, a, a way it shouldn't be. But to me, that's more like a kind of, well, is it affecting the song? No, then why why be concerned? You know? Yeah. But I mean, I can, I can see the benefit of it. I've never undermined the benefit of understanding theory. I mean, Jack Gardner is probably one of the best people to go to for that kind of stuff. He is just phenomenal. Oh, Jack Gardner, um, I, I've watched his play. Yeah. I'm just like... He, he could run rings around some of the best. He really could. Um, but, I mean, he's got it all, Jack. Like, he's worked on his craft for years and honed it brilliantly. But when it comes to, to me, I'm, I'm sort of like... I'm like the stepping stone. That's how I, I see myself. I'm like the guy who's really crap at guitar and then you've got Jack Gardner. I'm somewhere in the middle. I kind of... I'm pretty, <laughs> you can get there and you can fall back, you know. I'm the middle ground. But I think... Uh, to answer your question earlier, I think my strongest point would probably be my ability to listen to something and, and understand it musically. Not in the theory sense, but understand what message the music's kind of sending and be able to continue that message. I think I'm very emotive in that respect. Mm. And I think that's, that's something I would always love to improve on because I don't think you can ever be as like musically empathic enough. Absolutely. Yeah. I think bringing emotion across the music is probably one of the hardest things to do. Especially mm-hmm. if you're gonna have something that is so intense as like something in metal, yeah. so you could kind. Of, I would, I would imagine then that sort of stems from Queen and and Brian May because he lends himself, doesn't he, to a very sort of yeah. an emotional feel. He does, yeah, yeah. It, it's for me personally, it's probably a lot more John Petrucci because, like I said, I didn't really listen to Queen that much when I was a kid, even though I was exposed to them. I kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater and thought, the rest of their music shite, so I'm not going to listen to Queen. But when I finally listened to them, they are ultimately phenomenal. Uh, Lines in the Sand from, um, what was the album? Uh, Falling into Infinity, I think it is, by Dream Theater. The solo in Lines in the Sand is just a, a beautiful piece of emotion in guitar form. It is amazing. That is the kind of a, like good example of what I'm, what I'm, what I'd like to be able to do. There were some of the lines in uh, "Breaking All Illusions" that I really like. It's some of like the quieter oh, yeah. solo, the the quieter, mm-hmm. more melodic solos, and that I think could where 
like as much as like you've got stream of uh, consciousness where he's like absolutely mm-hmm. insane, but when he slows it down, that's it's just as impressive. I think I find it's much I've learned as I got older, it's much harder to play slow and less notes than it is to play fast. Yeah, I think a lot of people misunderstand, or rather, there's a misconception that people think if you don't play, then you're not playing. Whereas sometimes the space between notes can be just as important as the notes themselves. Mm. 100%. It's just so overlooked. Huh? It's the um, it's the phrasing of why you would put things together, so to mm-hmm. speak. Yeah, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say this as a person I like as a musician, but take like, I think The Edge, for example, you take his yeah. effects away and he is a very bread and butter guitarist, but he, he knows what to play and when to play it, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's he's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, 100%. He, he's always got like a good idea of what to play. The, what, what's the word <laughs> what I was trying to explain before where sometimes playing something that you might think is wrong will enrich the song even though it's not something that's technically you know um, what's the word dazzling it's something that fits the song perfectly I think that is a, a good example I wouldn't say that The Edge is a particularly amazing guitarist he probably is in terms of technical ability but his ability to fit into a song I think is I, I can't argue with him I think he's perfect for that band 100%. With, even if you don't like you 2 or if you do like mm-hmm. them. I mean, yeah, I I'm not a fan of you 2 like both. <laughs> I'm not a fan, but I can appreciate the music, yeah. the musicality, so to speak. Just a, a footnote to that. I don't know if you've seen Bill Bailey's take on The Edge. Yes. On what I, a catastrophic <laughs> gig failure at a YouTube concert would be like. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was funny enough, I was only watching that in the week because I'd seen it before and it cropped up on my Facebook a week. It's so accurate as well. And um, mm-hmm. I think where I was watching a video on YouTube, this is going back five or six years ago and it was um dallas he's he's a you the edges guitar tech was demoing like you know the, the guitar and sorting out all the patch sounds and all that and you could hear it and the problem is it made him sound like the edge and he just feels like anybody could yeah. pick up that rig and then and sort and of sound pop. like the edge yeah mm-hmm. which no, i'm not knocking that's him. the problem with using effects and pedals you can kind of like what's the way you can hollow out a tone so you just slot anyone in to make it sound like like them. But I'll I'll shy know. away then because I have well, I wouldn't say it's it's not like Phil Dyer's level of pedal board, but I do oh, use mate. a lot of Phil effects. Dyer doesn't have a pedal board, he's got a spaceship. <laughs> That's what he's got at his feet. It's insane. That guy <laughs> could power a small village with the amount of power left in the circuitry of that thing. I'm telling you. He could he could power bootle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fairly listening to this one. We, we both love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we'll start to kind of draw this to uh, to its close. So I have a regular segment on the podcast where I ask the same questions to everybody. So the first one is: You're on a desert island. You can take mm-hmm. one guitar, one pedal, and one amp with you to this desert island. What are you taking with you? 
Mm, I'm really crap at this. Um, Money is the no object. So you can take whatever you, you want. Mm. See, I'm really crap at tech. I don't remember the names of models of things, but I would probably get... Oh, God. See, I'm torn between the acoustic guitar option or the electric. I'll probably pick electric. Who am I kidding? I'd probably get another JP. One of the any, any seven string, six string, whatever. Uh, the amp would probably be something like a small AC30 or something, I'd say. Mm-hmm. If there was power there. Just something Obviously. that you can lug around if you want to move to higher ground, you know, like kind <laughs> of like because they still sound good. It's just small space, nice sound. Uh, for the pedal, I I don't really know. It'd probably be it'd be a wah pedal. It'd have to be a wah. I know this sounds deprecated, people are gonna be going, oh fucking hell. But yeah, I'd, I'd take a wah pedal. There's expression in a wah that pedals. you can't get out of. Yeah, you just, you can't knock them. <laughs> do you do the same thing as me? Like if you're watching a demo or a video that's got a wah pedal and you're using it and your mouth is automatically just making the wah sort of mouth movement. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm, I'm so bad for doing that. I was watching uh, a wah shootout video. I can't remember what it was. And my mouth was just actually going wah. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not even playing it. I know I don't do it with wah pedals, but I do do it when you see people eating on TV, like eating delicious food. I'll go and go to eat with them, like, but that's about it. Like, <laughs> I, I, I can't say that's that. I, do that. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really do that, by the way. I was just, I was just taking a minute. I will say, I've seen some of your food stuff on Instagram. Oh man, looks so good. That cottage pie oh, sort yeah. of thing that you made the other day. Oh, that I, looked well good. I used to be a cook. I would say chef, but it wasn't a chef. I was a cook. <laughs> yeah. And I eat vegan food, don't I? So, well, I mean, I'm diet speaking like but um it's really hard to make food that tastes nice but when you know how to season something you can get in and taste the nice pie oh yeah me yeah full of oh. like car batteries and stuff it's great <laughs> <laughs> oh you mean uh, the food scouts sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> not living the car on bricks <laughs> uh second question is what are you listening to at the moment on spotify or your preferred music streaming service um Okay, I've I was recently shown something by my brother. Um, this is probably something we haven't touched on at all. Another big big inspiration for me musically is video game music. Um, not necessarily the timbre, but the songwriting in it and melodies and harmonies, etc. The usual. Um, but there was a guy on YouTube that I think it was like a year or so ago um, did a collaboration where he redid the whole of Ocarina of Time. Legend of Zelda. Oh, I think uh, I've he seen did the that. whole soundtrack. Yeah, I think I saw and that come up on a recommended video. I didn't watch it, but I did see it come up. Life changing, telling you now, hands down. I've listened to that thing probably like seventy times in the past week, and I <laughs> went away as well. Headphones it in, it's on. That's the most common thing I've listened to. But other things are probably um, Blacklight Bands is probably a big one as well. That's Wes Borland's yeah. other band. Um, for those who don't know, it's the album um, "Cruel Melody." It's one of my favorite albums ever. It's fantastic, but it just it goes too quick. It's just I enjoy every single song in it, every single song. But he's quite into the electronic stuff as well. I do like electronic music, and I think a lot of that kind of it's in the album itself. You've got like you know the new metal kind of vibe and the, the kind of raw you know naked tone that he's got, and then you have a little break with some electronic stuff. I enjoy that. I enjoy the kind of ebbs and flows. 
I'll, I'll, throw this, I'll throw this question in as you brought it up. Top three video games. This isn't usually in the segment, but now we've talked about video games. I'm going to get lambasted for this so bad. Of all time? Yeah. Like, okay, so number one has to be, without a doubt, the first original Dungeon Keeper by Bullfrog Studios. Second one has to be Fable 1 which was by Bullfrog Studios, but when they converted to Lionhead Studios. Um, third favourite game is probably, this is where it gets a bit tough because it can be a number of things. Um, all time, it's got to be probably Command & Conquer, rather than 2, Yuri's Revenge. I remember that. that probably, that those three games, I could live off the rest of my life, happily. For me, Tomb Raider 2 was always one of my favourite games. Oh, yes. Tomb Raider... <laughs> yes. Tomb Raider 2 was outstanding. Fable was bloody brilliant. I remember playing that. That's the first time I remember ever really playing sort of like an RPG style game. Yeah. And I loved that aspect of being either good or evil. Do you know, I, I'll keep this brief, but there was a weird story to me getting Fable. I had no idea who Lionhead Studios were and I had no idea what Fable was. All I knew was that it went gold before it was released. Um, but I didn't even take that into consideration. I bought Ninja Gaiden for the Xbox. It didn't work. So I was like, this is a bit of a, you know, mistake. Um, took it back, game like, here's another disc. Tried it, didn't work on my Xbox. It was an issue back then, apparently. So they said, do you want a different game? I was like, I'll get Pitch Black. You know, the Vin Diesel movie, there was a, a game. I did that in one night. It was dead, dead short. So I took it back, I went, this isn't working either. He was like, well, I don't know what else to suggest. What are the games have you got? He said, well, we've got Fable. And I was like, oh, God. And I owned an and was like, go ahead, just give us that then. I'll have to. Um, and that was it. I spent it. like three weeks, three weeks straight on it, <laughs> moving off like Dr. Pepper and muffins from Costco, <laughs> just playing favorite. Like, it was amazing. Well, yeah, it was, oh, my, it was fantastic. I think it about 60 pounds. <laughs> so good. They should remaster it as everybody else seems to be remastered. Oh, did they? Oh, I missed that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a, I think it's exclusively on PC, but it's the remaster collection. You've got Fable and Lost Chapters. Mm. Fable HD, I think it's called. But uh, it's not, it's not fantastically remastered, but it's, it's like, it's remade, yeah. But yeah, they, they should they should remake them. I think hundred percent, like at least. Yeah. Oh man, imagine that with new graphics and like four K stuff. Sorry, I'm, I digress. <laughs> yeah, we could carry this. That could easily just be a, like another whole hour's worth of conversation yeah. just talking about video games. Next next Friday, next Friday. So next, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and last but not least, where can we find out more about you and your music? Um, me personally, um, Marty Ventura everywhere. It's on YouTube, forward slash C, forward slash Marty Ventura. Um, Instagram, same. Facebook, the same. There's even a Twitter account somewhere in the depths. Um, Scare Tactics, again, pretty same same story. We're on Spotify, Apple Music. Um, I'm not sure there's a YouTube channel on it. I think there is. Certainly there is. Um, but we're on like Facebook and Instagram and stuff. It is just Scare Tactics UK. Uh, I think the Facebook page had to be uh, UK-based metal because there was a conflict conflict with the names. But yeah, we're pretty pretty easy to find, I think. Smashing. Just look for the, the debauchery from Liverpool. You'll find us easily then. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So thank you very much, Marty, for being and thank you for spending this uh, hour or so with me so youtube watchers make sure you check out the link just uh, in the 
I'll start that bit again. We'll uh, there we go. We'll get it. Get, I'm not. I'm not cutting I'll this out. Staying. <laughs> YouTube watchers, make sure you go and check out the links in the description box below. If you're listening to this on Spotify, all the links will be on the YouTube video. Make sure you go and check Marty out and enjoy some of his wonderful cooking and playing Limp Biscuit songs. And of course, check out yeah. Scare Tactics and check them out. Listen to their songs because you will thank the good ears and good music of and if you come to our gigs we tend to get you involved so you'll have a laugh if you're shy come anyway (laughs) absolutely absolutely so thank you again marty for tuning uh being here and tuning in and for all the regular listeners we shall see you again on the next episode of guitar geeks